Hey everyone, Jason here. Before we get going, I just wanted to take a moment to give a quick shout out to the new paid membership option that we recently rolled out. This option is meant for people that have been getting value from the podcast and want to enable us to keep producing it in a more sustained way. It's also for people that want extra stuff, such as bonus content, a Slack room that's vibrant and filled with people tackling climate change from a wide range of backgrounds and perspectives, as well as a host of programming and events that get organized in the Slack room. We also have a virtual town hall once a month where you can get a preview of what's to come and provide feedback and input on our direction. We'll be adding more membership benefits over time. If you want to learn more, just go to the website, myclimatejourney.co. And if you're already a member... Thank you so much for your support. Enjoy the show. Hello, everyone. This is Jason Jacobs, and welcome to My Climate Journey. This show follows my journey to interview a wide range of guests to better understand and make sense of the formidable problem of climate change and try to figure out how people like you and I can help. Today's guest is Grant Canary, CEO of DroneSeed. DroneSeed is a drone reforestation company. They have a new tool for wildfire reforestation that shortcuts multi-year rehabilitation efforts, makes reforestation scalable, and helps mitigate the effects of climate change. The company uses swarms of large drones, and they do it in a way that can plant trees six times faster than human planters. And because they use seeds rather than one or two-year-old seedlings, they can swing into action sooner after the flames die down. More trees grow back faster, which captures more carbon and helps keep the climate under control. We have a great discussion in this episode about wildfires and their causes, about the benefits of reforestation, about some of the techniques that are used for reforestation today and what the gaps are with those techniques and processes. We talk about the drone seed solution, how it came about, why it came about, where they are in their development to date, and what's coming next. We also talked about the long vision for the company and how it fits not only into the climate fight, but also into the other levers that can be used to help address wildfires and help address climate change in general. Grant Canary, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks very much. I uh, guess I'd just like to have you. I uh, heard some great things about drone seed and certainly timely, given everything that's going on in the world. So psyched to have you walk us through the story and learn more about it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and, and I know we, we, we were both on Twitter last night and it was, uh, it was a wild night. So uh, here we are doing the regular, um, regular work. Let me, yeah, uh, exactly. let me take you through this. <laughs> let me take you through pretend, this here. Pretend that, that, okay. Yeah, I was just going to say, I'll, I'll pretend that my election hangover didn't happen. <laughs> uh, no, I'm, yeah, it's hard to keep moving without acknowledging that elephant in the room, but um, fingers crossed and feeling good so far. Um, yeah, I'll, t- I'll take you through just a little bit. Um, what I would love to focus on just initially is getting the problem out on the table. Um, help me make sure that that's real clear for everyone, because we do a lot of education um, but just to tee us off, let me make it uh, really easy. We're paid per acre as a service to reforest utilizing heavy lift drone swarms. And we are focused right now on post wildfire. Um, and post wildfire is important um, 
just because of all of the competitive vegetation that's been removed. Uh, so we'll get into that a little bit, but like as far as setting the larger problem, um, here's where we stand globally. There's about 8 million acres that get planted each year. And that sounds like a lot, but we're losing about 7 million acres per year to wildfire. And that's just in the US. So globally, 8 million acres planted, US, 7 million acres lost per year in the, and that's the 10 year rolling average. Um, and, and Grant, so, you may, you may talk about this later, but are you, uh, but if not, it might be good to also just um, talk a bit through uh, how this all came about, like what, you know, what you were doing and what, and, and what led you to, um, uh, to starting this company. No, absolutely. Um, we can, we can pause, pause here on the problem for a second and absolutely. Um, everything I've ever done has been in sustainability. Uh, Vestas Wind Energy, U.S. Green Building Council um, founded a company that uh, takes food waste and feed it, feeds it to maggots. And that was acquired and we built a 60,000 square foot uh, maggot factory. And that does a couple of things simultaneously, which is number one, um, makes food waste, uh, gets it back into the system as a usable product faster. Uh, number two, um, you're making industrial uh, fish feed. So not, not like cricket bars or anything along those lines, but industrial fish feed so that uh, fish, which are some of the most efficient protein sources are um, more sustainable. And so um, leaving those ventures, wanted to like really make a dent more in carbon. Uh, like, like really like actually like not just tangentially like more sustainably, but what is the thing that, that I could do to really, really pull carbon out of the atmosphere. And um, that is something that, uh, that for me was, was really important and it's really hard to do. So went through that process of talking to everybody that I could uh, find uh, ran through a whole bunch of different ideas in the lean startup method. And they were bad ideas because people told me them, uh, told, they told me as much. They were like, Hey, don't do that. I'm not going to pay for that. So kind of went through that process and then, um, really started looking at, uh, at trees. And that came about in a funny way, which is that I was complaining about the hardship and for anybody who's out there just going through it of like going through the iteration process of this idea and that idea and mocking it up. And, um, you sitting there and a good friend who, uh, was basically giving me shit was like, um, well, I guess you're going to be a dirty hippie and go plant trees. And uh, that uh, led to kind of like thinking about the trees more and more. And then not just sort of like, oh, great, I've got the idea, but much more like talking to anybody I could find in forestry, et cetera. And so we're now up to a team of 30 people and we have uh, masters and PhDs um, in post-fire restoration, um, in silviculture. And so this is something that like, we've now built up that expertise, but four years ago, like that's really like where it was like, huh, what can we, what can we get started on? And uh, so since then built out just a phenomenal tech stack um, with that team. And uh, that's, that's really gone from a hobbyist with like a paintball gun on a drone all the way up to this is an industrial two truck operation with a NASCAR pit crew swapping out the batteries. Um, and that's for up to five aircraft simultaneously flying around with a 57 pound payload. So that's kind of the, the teaser on where we're headed here. 
Great. And so back to the, the problem that we were just getting into. So it sounded like, uh, sounded like we, uh, the amount of trees that burn down every year in the U.S. is almost equivalent to the total amount of trees planted globally. Yep. Okay. And, the, and the big problem with that is that we've built this whole system where we rely on natural regeneration. So what we're planting artificially with humans with shovels that's a small percentage. We've built the system to have nature do most of the work. But what we're starting to see now is that uh, after a fire, less and less, nature is starting to restore because of the size and severity. I think everyone knows where this is going, which is climate change, increasing the size of the fire and increasing the severity. And if the severity is really um, high, like moderate to high severity, it's at risk of not coming back as forest. And, and the way I like to describe that is like um, a low severity fire is like a creme brulee. You got the nice little like burnt top, but everything underneath is gooey. And that's where all the seeds are stored and they're happy. And then they've got lots of space to turn into trees. You get a high severity fire. Um, you end up with everything is black. The first couple inches of the soil are black. And it's like uh, somebody just took a blowtorch, the entire creme brulee and the whole thing's burnt. And that all, and that includes all the seeds stored in the soil. So that's like a really simple example to explain like how climate change is affecting natural regeneration. And um, what's the ultimate outcome out of that is that like, we simply are looking at situations where it's unknown the time period, but we may simply run out of forests because the rate of um, regeneration, whether it be natural or artificial, uh, is being exceeded by the loss every year. And so it's not like there's just going to be blackened, uh, Blade Runner, uh, type scapes. It'll be step or kind of 10 foot tall bushes, but it's not going to be forests. And that's not great for what we're doing with our carbon. Um, and so that's something that we set out, uh, to solve. Well, so I'm, I, uh, before we go on, I want to ask one, one question about that. So yeah. if I, uh, wanted to lose weight, and um, and I kept upping my fitness and upping my fitness and upping my fitness, but I wasn't changing my diet, uh, then I might find that no matter how much I up my fitness, I'm not going to lose the kind of weight I want. And then before I can, I might be likely to get hurt because I'm overtraining from a, from a fitness side. So to bring back that around to my, to my question here, uh, if we're losing more forests than we, um, uh, you know, then we, then nature can regenerate naturally, uh, do, does that make uh, reforestation a less attractive source of carbon sequestration over time, given that presumably that trend will accelerate as climate change gets worse? What, uh, where, where we're, first of all, you nailed it on the metaphor. I've equated it to income. Most people understand debt in that way, like that reforestation debt, but it's the same, it's the same thing, which and I'm going to steal that by the way. <laughs> so thank you. Well, it's um, on my mind because I, I am yeah. that guy. I've been training more and more and more, but I've been stress eating. Right. And so I just can't take off the 10 pounds, you know? Uh, and, yep. and, and actually the only way to take off the 10 pounds is not, it's, it's probably to train less and to eat better. Right. And so, so that's that's where I I kind of I kind of come come back around to this is uh you know is reforestation and fitness in that analogy? Well, well, I I would describe it this way, and the, the the idea that we don't have forests going forward in whole states like California, uh, or that they burn so so often is is kind of like 
what we in this in the in the metaphor it's kind of like either not doing fitness or not eating it's it's not an option so i guess if we look at it as like forests can't just go away because we need them for water treatment we need them for air purification um, we need them for, uh, actually they, in, in the right densities, they increase, uh, soil runoff or soil water runoff. Um, so that, uh, if you've basically like they shade soil and if, and if the soil is then shaded, it has more moisture. So you can actually measure that in inch acres, uh, behind dams. And there's an awesome company, uh, blue forest conservation that, um, is doing that. And it has a financial asset that kind of measures that. And it, um, so the idea that uh, the trees go away, like we would then have to take a lot of money and put it into sewer treatment plants, into desalination, et cetera. So it's, it's not a good option. Um, so the, the other direction is like, well, how do we boost the, uh, how do we boost the amount of artificial regeneration, natural or, or basically like human planting um, because we're not doing enough of it. And so that's what we started to take a look at. Um, I'll show you, I'll show you what the sites look like first, because I think this sets a little bit of the, some of the tone, um, but what you can see is kind of what some of these sites look like after high severity fires go through. Um, it's, it's just very Mordor esque if you're, if you're not, if you're listening as opposed to watching. Um, what a clip. Are you, are you moving this or is this just, uh, is this just like part of the slide? This uh, this is, so we, we've, uh, we love video. So, um, this is a drone shot and this is just, um, one of the sites, I can't say which one, but this is one of the sites that, uh, we'll be working on here in the near, near future. Uh -huh. Wow. It's great. I feel like I'm there. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah. And looking at it, like you're seeing this sort of like still like these fires, like that stump, that little, that little part that's burning, that's a tree that's still sort of burning and those can burn for weeks afterwards uh, as it sort of moves through the root system. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, um, just to give some credence to what we're saying, um, there's some people that are out there taking some bold stands. This is Tom Porter, the California state fire chief on 60 minutes, uh, October 4th, and basically saying every acre in California can and will burn someday people are trying to ring the alarm bells as much as possible that like, this is important and needs to, it, it matters today. Like um, California at the, at the biggest risk cause it's further South Oregon, Washington, uh, BC in that order at risk on, of fire on, on the fires as well. But, so, so I have the same question though. Like can, yeah. can any amount of reforestation possibly keep up if that's the case? The, the goal is, uh, I would describe it as like, we're the opening pitcher and we need closing pitchers. Um, so meaning like drone seed, by preserving our forests, we preserve our carbon capture capabilities, but it's not like it's a zero sum and we can't also be shutting down uh, coal plants, uh, adding in direct our carbon capture, which by the way is who I think is the closing pitcher. Um, and uh, basically decarbonizing our entire economy. So it's not like, it's not like oh, if we just plant enough trees um, that, we, that we'll be able to get out of climate change and mitigate its worst effects. Like uh, we have got to do a lot more, but let's not, let's not lose the trees and that carbon sequestration capacity we have and further add to the snowball of climate change. Let's fight it with everything we've got and make sure that we are connecting um, carbon credits to reforestation. So that's kind of where we come from. Okay. Well, just to keep that same analogy from before, essentially what you're saying is, uh, is, Hey, yes, you have to factor in diet as well. And diet is very important and you can't 
neglect it and you can't get there without diet, but the diet alone is also not your answer. You'd be crazy if you didn't also pursue fitness in parallel, but let's help you work out more effectively and in a sustainable way where, where you don't get hurt and you can, you know, you can live a healthy, active lifestyle in addition to addressing your diet concerns. Yeah. Nailed it. Yeah. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> cool. Let's um, keep going. Yeah. So, so here's, here's a problem. Like, why don't we just go to the tree store and get a whole bunch more trees and put them out there? Um, here, here's what, why that's, that's problematic today with the system we have. So number one, we're utilizing manual labor. So this individual here that you see on screen has about 40 pounds of, um, one to two year old trees in these bags on his hips. And he's basically functioning as like this AI that's picking out where's the spots of soil. Um, every day, this is on flat ground, but I just showed you that clip of the um, burned area. Like mostly they're doing wind sprints up and down uh, mountainsides with a 40 pound pack. Uh, he'll get about two acres planted per day. Um, and while doing that, he'll burn the caloric equivalent of running two marathons. Um, yeah, he'll, so the- he'll lose his 10 pounds. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and what, and you can, you can go on vice news. There's all kinds of articles about like how insane like tree planting is today. And the, the things that they eat in the morning look very much like Michael Phelps diets, just like stacks of pancakes with, with all of the, like they can't get enough calories. So really, really inefficient way to, to, to plant today, but it's the best way that we have right now. So that's problem. Number one, manual labor doesn't scale. Problem number two is we've got this really long supply chain bottleneck of two to three years. So if you have a fire and, and you don't have the budget or the seed, you apply to a government agency that usually takes a year. Then you send your seeds to the nursery. That nursery then grows them for anywhere from three months to two years, depending upon whatever. And then you hire a refrigerated truck who, that takes it out to site because you just grew these babies for two years, you don't want to cook them on the way out to a a site in a metal box. Um, And then you hire a contractor who brings in the seasonal labor. um, And that seasonal labor then does what I just showed you and plants it on the mountainsides. So this, this is a like really significant bottleneck in the process um, because, and, and this is why like supply chain logistics, like, which was my master's like, bottlenecks are, are horrible because what happens is they lead to that reforestation debt we've been talking about. And so um, just to take it as an example, like if you've got a customer like we do that has a million acres and they're seeing a 50,000 acre fire burn and they can only reforest 5,000 acres a year. And then the next year they see a 10,000 acre uh, fire burn and then they see a 50,000 again, and then they see a 350,000 acre fire. All of a sudden, like this whole supply chain, it's just getting clogged up. And so that becomes super problematic. And so we'll get into how we utilize seeds, but we shortcut this whole thing. Okay. And then lastly, like, turns out if you're going to plant a lot more forests, you need a lot more money. Um, so carbon credits, which are a $230 billion uh, addressable market in going into 2020, they did not support reforestation until the last 12 months here. Um, previously there was such a concern about, uh, greenwashing and like that people were like, no, you've got to wait 25 years for the trees to grow before we'll give you any credits or or pay you for any credits for reforestation, which means that you had to compete with 25 years of compounded interest in any other financial asset. So nobody ever did it. 
And so that are, that's are, are, are there? Oh, I'm sorry. Finish your thought, Grant. <laughs> oh no, I was just going to say that's that's now changed, and um, we now have a system called ex ante credits, um, which reduces that wait to one to two years. And so the first ex ante, which is kind of like a carbon credit future, um, the the methodology uh, designers, this is Climate Action Reserve, don't really like that terminology, but basically it's a simple way to think about it. Um, but basically what happens is we'll go out, we'll disperse our seed vessels. Uh, a year later, an independent third party will verify that there are the right amount of trees growing and then credits get issued. So um, this and those credits are then projected forward on what those uh, trees will sequester over the next, and it's uh, sort of a time value of carbon, 30 years, 40 years, 100 years, or perpetually. Now, do uh, companies like yours or other companies that are enabling, let's say, the big companies to offset their footprints, uh, do you need the certification bodies to um, to have a category created, or are there ways to provide those offsets with self certification or some some other way? Like, are they are they true gatekeepers, or are there workarounds? Um, we've chosen to go with with uh, gatekeepers. Um, mostly because it takes a lot of the leg legwork out of how how every, uh, it takes a lot of the legwork out of how much carbon is being sequestered and what mm -hmm. are the methods for like how do you create the buffer pool so that's similar to like insurance um, if there's a fire some of those credits are retired um, things along those lines. And that way they can continue year after year to refine that methodology. And they actually issue a version system of like, this is a, this is the version 1.1, et cetera, that, um, they're utilizing. So this is climate action reserve has really led the way on creating the the, uh, FMU or forecastable forecasted mitigation unit. Um, and, uh, that's, the, that's where we're going to be doing our first projects, um, will be with the August complex fire. Uh, so really excited about that. And um, for those out there that are interested in buying carbon credits, if you're at a large corporate, like we're there to sell them. And it gives those corporations a lot more, um, it, it feels a lot more like a professional game being played with umpires than a pickup game where people are calling their own fouls. And do you sell them direct to these companies or do you work with uh, marketplaces that that uh, that um, that play matchmaker. Um, we can do we can do either, but the most important thing is that they go on the registry and that everybody sees the um, the credits, the issuance, the 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 credits being retired. Got it. So you might get into this later in the deck, but uh, but what is the primary way that you're going to market today? How much? Like, do you have a direct sales force, for example? Yeah. So our, um, what we're doing right now is we've got our bet, our bread and butter customers, which are timber companies, nonprofits, government agencies, tribal nations. They're paying us per acre as a service. That's our, it's our flat, like no carbon credits involved. We help them save money by being faster, doing more in a day. Um, and over time as we automate, we'll be cheaper and cheaper. Um, and what, what do they get for that? Like what's motivating them to, to do this reforestation? Um, they'll be, 
They'll be for nonprofits. It's that's their mission. Uh, we work with the Nature Conservancy, so it's ecological restoration. For timber companies, it's put trees on a 20 to 80 year rotation. Um, and that can be anyone from ecologically minded timber companies. Uh, there's a couple out there um, to really cut through. Um, like we, we're, we're here to run a business. We care about the returns more than anything. And, um, and, and then the tribal nations? Tribal nations as well. Uh, that, there's a, that's the nice Venn diagram where you've got tribal nations are focused um, on the the forests as an income source by sustainably managing them. They're able to pay for historically like a lot of the education and social security um, for elder tribe members. Um, But it's also, there's a desire for lower density because that's um, hunting, that's fishing, uh, that's the heritage of tribal members and they want access to that. And so managing it as a, as a tree farm is not how they want to proceed, but there is a, a strong value in, that, um, in, in, the, in those forests as, as they're sustainably managed. And uh, tribal nations also, um, some of the top carbon credit providers for putting easements on existing stands, um, tribe, uh, tribal nation in Maine, in Washington and in Alaska. Uh, those three are like, are at least some of the top, at least all three are in the top five carbon credit providers on the California exchange. Okay. So, yeah. So our, so our normal customers, like we want trees, make trees. Um, beyond that, there's this much larger market that's um, looking to head towards 280 billion plus uh, in 2020 as we close out. And uh, that is mostly the European union. And that is, purchased credits. Um, and what we're seeing is that the U.S. does not play in that market in any significant way. And yet 23% of the S&P 100 is going carbon neutral or negative. So break that down, $280 billion total global market of carbon credits. U.S. is maybe $4 billion of that market. Uh, that's the California, Climate Ex- uh, California Exchange. Um, and so, but we've got all of these pledges, all of these people heading in that direction. Microsoft uh, announcing they're going carbon negative. Their footprint is 13% of the voluntary credit supply. So where I'm taking folks here is that there is a, a supply shortage coming on. And what that looks like is that, yes, there's $280 billion that are purchased in credits, but most of those are just allowances or permissions to pollute from the government. Only about 2% of all of these credits, about 9 billion in total, went into actual physical offset projects. And so, and most of those are really small projects, 300 to 600 acres equivalent of reforestation. And of any of the large projects, you can see there kind of like where the breakdown is of where they are geographically, 50% were in the US and 72% were in forestry. And it's super disintermediated or meaning like there's no dominant provider. So takeaway here is supply shortage of technologies or abilities to actually remove carbon from the atmosphere or offset it. And there's a complete lack of ability to scale. And so that's something that the number one policy recommendation, if anybody out there is put a price on carbon, absolutely, we should do that. But we also have to pull carbon out of the atmosphere and the technologies available to do so are incredibly nascent. 
um, whether it's direct air, carbon capture, others, like we absolutely need them. It's not a knock on them. But um, right now, the ability just born in the data of like where are offsets being generated, how are they being generated, like the, that mark, the market is not set up to scale today. And so that's where we're focusing on how to change that. And trees are one of the most scalable technologies out there. We're the opening pitcher. I, I may have missed it, but you talked about the bottleneck in the current supply chain, but then I don't recall that you then got into uh, the, how you guys were different and what your approach is. So yeah, I don't know if that's somewhere in the deck. Yeah, no, that's where we're headed. I just, um, nerd in me wants to just really like lay out all the data and be like, hey, these are all the problems. But uh, so far where we're at is labor doesn't scale. The, there's a bottleneck in the supply and there's not enough money. Um, so that's kind of where we're at today. Now, this is what we've done. So we participated in, uh, team trees and help, uh, helped Mark Rober launch his video. Um, what we're doing is we fly drone swarms. They're heavy lift, which means they can carry a 57 pound payload. The aircraft in total weigh a lot more than that. Um, they, we've reduced the supply chain from three years to three months. And the way that we do that is we utilize seeds. And so what we've done is instead of having a one to two year old uh, seedling or grown tree, we put a seed into a vessel. Um, The reason we do that is yes, we can go out there and drop raw seed, but that's been done since the seventies and it's a really big waste of seed. So our goal is to put the seed into a vessel, which will boost its um, survival ability. Now we're not going to be as efficient as a, as a seedling of one to two years, but we're getting a lot more efficient than dropping raw seed because when you drop raw seed, you're basically creating a squirrel buffet. And so the, one of the things that we've done is we've added super spicy pepper um, and the white papers are out there in public that decreases rodent predation by 80%. And the pepper is a cross between a Carolina Reaper and a ghost pepper. Um, so that's one example of one of the ingredients. And then we've got a kind of special sauce that goes into that um, the Coca-Cola recipe, if you will, that, uh, allows us to decrease the predation, provide fertilizers, um, and decrease, um, and then sort of, sorry, decrease the predation, boost the survival rate. Um, yeah, that's the one I'm missing is, uh, desiccation drying out. So that's the last one is how do you make sure that the seed has enough moisture? So the vessel is soaking up moisture so that you're able to, um, so then it's, so that it's never dried out. And, and how do you uh, price this? And are you, know, what I, I, and you don't need to share specific pricing if you don't want to, but what's, what, what's the structure of the business model and how does that compare to, uh, to the um, traditional supply chain constrained offerings that you referenced earlier in the deck? Yeah. Um, so by being out there faster, we are cheaper because if you have to wait one to three, three years, and let me just go forward a little bit and see if I can, yeah, pull this up here. So if you have to go, if you wait one to three years, well, nature is not going to just hang out and do nothing. Um, those moonscapes that we showed at the beginning, uh, you're going to see blackberry bushes. You're going to see scotch broom. You're going to see a bunch of other things come up. Well, you're going to have to either reburn that which is $177 an acre uh, average on the 2016 data, or you're going to have to spray it with chemicals 
um, or you're going to have to get out some uh, big, heavy earth moving equipment and either till it or like almost excavate it because uh, it's on a mountainside. So that's all going to cost money. So we help customers avoid that whole uh, process because it's already burned once. Why burn it again? That's why we're focused on wildfires. Um, so if we're able to be out there uh, within three months of a um, site uh, burning, then we don't have to reburn it. So it avoids that cost. So the, and then as far as how we're paid, um, we're paid uh, per acre as a service, um, ranges from 300 to $500 an acre. We hit some of the toughest terrain that's out there because we're drones and we can fly. Um, and we're, we're avoiding that initial um, need to do the site prep. Uh, and then what we can add further is take this down to two to $300 an acre, um, potentially even go less than that if uh, we, we start adding in those um, carbon credits. So basically we're able to supercharge reforestation by providing a lot more money. And uh, our project with the August Complex Fire, uh, we will be the second, maybe the third, depending upon how fast we get it completed um, in ex-ante carbon credits. And can you talk a bit about the competitive landscape? Yeah, uh, happy to. I mean, there's a number, there's, we've been in a blue ocean industry for about four years. And in the last, like, I'd say 12 to 18 months, um, we've had a number of other uh, like sort of hobbyists come up that have started put, putting paintball guns on drones. And no shame there, that's where we started. But it's not a solution that really, um, it, it's, it's not able to make money. Um, and here's why, is you need to be able to charge the aircraft and you need to be able to carry a significant payload in swarms. So what we've done is that we've gotten the first FAA approval. Uh, we're the first and only that's approved uh, in three ways. We're approved for that heavy lift. So over 55 pounds, we can carry a 57 pound payload and still maintain an eight to 20 minute flight time. Um, the second is that we can fly in swarms. So we're, we can fly up to five aircraft with one pilot and the pilot is completely hands-off, it's all autonomous. Um, and then the last is that we can fly beyond visual line of sight. So meaning that normally you have to be able to see the aircraft at all times, as long as we can clear the airspace, um, we can operate around hills, uh, in canyons, things like that. So um, gotta be legal. And then the second part of it is, um, you've got to be able to swap those batteries because as folks who have DJI products know, if you're sitting there waiting for an hour between your flights to charge batteries, or you've got two batteries, great. But then you start to end up with like, well, now I need a couple hundred batteries. Um, it's really inefficient to approach it that way. And then you're looking at like, how long does it take in the evening to charge all those batteries and then get back at site. So what we've got is a charge truck that allows us to charge up to five aircraft at a time, or sorry, let me five batteries per aircraft at a time um, for up to five aircraft. So it pulls in a hell of a lot of power. You can see there in the bottom right, the um, charge truck that's connected to a generator. This is something that you could run a small concert on or a gala party. Um, and it's about five household circuits worth of power. Um, think of those breaker circuits in your house. And it's charging what's the equivalent of about two to three car batteries um, per aircraft. Um, and so that is a lot of power to safely distribute throughout the charge truck create the little um, cubbies and mechanisms so that 
we can actually operate like a NASCAR pit crew and swap those batteries in six to eight minutes, as opposed to 15, 20, 45, an hour, et cetera. So, and that really like makes the difference in the business. Great. And can you talk about how long you've been in the market and what kind of attraction you've seen to date? Yeah. So as far as um, been in the market, we've been in the market since 2016 and been building out like some of the most important pieces of the puzzle, which are show us the data on the seed vessel. How does it do? And uh, did a small sample size in 2018, um, got to 140 trees per acre. And then we did it in a replicate in New Zealand. And we, and the reason for this is we want to see how the seed and the seed vessel does after a dry season because desiccation drying out one of the primary things that kills it. So, uh, got to go to New Zealand. We get two summers a year that way. And the soils are the same, the customers the same. Um, and so that gets us that, that replication. And then we did a much larger, uh, sample size. And so we're getting those results back and, um, those should be coming out in tree planters notes, which, which is a USDA paper. Um, we've, we've already released our first, uh, 2018 and 2019 trials and those should be out. They've got the header on the website, but they haven't yet published the article. Uh, and then we'll be continuing to publish that data uh, in tree planters notes in other journals out there. And this is one of the things that's like so important about building trust with the customers is show us the data, show us how you're doing, publish it, et cetera. So that's what we've been doing. Um, we got about 500,000 uh, in 12 months trailing revenues. And mostly what's happening is our project size is increasing. So in 2018, we were a single aircraft operation. We were doing very small projects. 2019, that grew pretty significantly. And we started doing $20,000, $30,000 projects. Um, we started then added the ability to have heavy lifts, have swarms, and we get into 2020. Uh, and now we're starting to do hundred dollars to $250,000 projects. And when more we're headed is going to half million to million dollar projects each year. Um, so that's something that, uh, as, as far as how we've, we've been proceeding, 2020 has been huge for us. Um, we've had uh, a ton of demand and a lot of the, oh, I don't know, what are the models going to show for the future? Maybe we're west of the mountains, so we're wet and we're not going to be affected by fires for another decade or two. Or it only happens on the federal land. It doesn't happen to us. We pay for the thinning. We don't get fires. All of those went away. And so now customers that we've been talking to since 2016 have been like, hey, can you do 10,000 acres? Can you do 5,000 acres? And these are massive projects. I mean, let's put it this way. The August complex fire is, a one, is the first million acre fire of ever in US history. It's um, a normal career fire, as Tom Porter said on 60 Minutes, was like 50,000 acres, meaning like you would now only see one of those in your career. And now that's a routine, like there were, there were a handful of those all over the state. So 10% of the August complex fire, um, the revenue numbers from that for us would result in a valuation that, that's unicorn status. Now it feels a little icky for me to say, cause it sounds like we're like, I don't know, profiteering off of like wildfires, but like what we're trying to do is restore those wildfires as fast as possible back to forests um, and do it at lower density, less likely to burn. So choosing species that are native, polycultures, lower density. Um, those are the way that we have less fire risk, but still get that, that sweet, sweet carbon sequestration. 
And what are the what are the key pri- uh, priorities or goals of, for the company over the next say twelve months? Next twelve months for us is get out there and crush our projects, and then get the first project done with the August complex fires that connect carbon credits to wildfire projects, because we've got this nice bread and butter, we're hitting great margins um, that that VCs that finance our growth are like happy with um, the in our sort of bread and butter, just reforest as a service. Um, where we want to go though, is how do we supercharge the, the like the, the actual execution? And what we see here is if we're, is, is a scatter plot of the size of the acres managed in the bottom and then the cost of reforestation, it's all over the place, but 325 is about an average market rate. With an $11 carbon credit, we can undercut that market rate really significantly. And with a $25 per credit, we can undercut the entirety of the market. And that sounds crazy, but there's already companies that are out there that are utilizing a $25 to $50 carbon credit price internally for their internal carbon credit pricing. Um, and that's just them being ahead of things. And I guess some of the, the person-to-person conversation or intelligence that we've received is that like, look, there's a land grab going on in carbon credits. Because there's a shortage of supply, there's folks that are out there that are, that are in different industries taking different things. Um, but for we can take tech, for example, because it's probably gonna be most relevant to this audience, is that if you're decarbonizing your supply chain or you're avoiding credits or cutting them out, et cetera, like you are, if you have overlapping supply chains with other tech companies, only one large entity, Microsoft or whoever, gets those credits. Um, And then beyond that, there's an over-reliance on renewable energy credits for the offsets. So there's a desire to grow the offset suppliers so that prices stay lower with large supply as they get brought into the market. And that's going to that's gonna be a function of the policies of the US government for us as a US-based company, um, of the California, Oregon, Washington state governments, et cetera. But everybody's seeing a price on carbon coming in some form or another. So it's basically like get credits now while they're cheap and grow the suppliers um, because that way it keeps the, the credits uh, at a more reasonable price. And um, for us, get out there, reforest the August complex fire. We are focused on that first project. We got accepted to Elemental Accelerator. Um, that's financing some of that. And uh, we're looking for corporate, car- corporate carbon credit buyers to um, buy credits, working on the, f- the world's first gigafire. And we're gonna be focusing on doing 1000 acres of that. And that'll be about 37,000 tons of carbon credits that are available for purchase. And then the next year, go out and do it again, bigger, 10,000 acres, and so on and so forth. And we can do this because we scale with a fleet that is um, copy-paste. It's two trucks, two trailers, six aircraft. That's that charge truck. Um, Those are the swarms. And it takes about four people. And they can do about 4,000 acres a year. So great. Now we add two or three fleets. Um, Six trucks is not a big uh, capital investment. Uh, and the 18 aircraft required for that, not a, not a huge capital investment. So um, it's get out there, get that done, and then we're building the manufacturing capacity in-house to support that. So, and then with every project, cut that whole reforestation debt down so that we're reforesting three years early. So is, will this be a capital intensive business to scale? 
I think it'll be capital intensive um, in the initial run. So uh, Mark Tarpany, the co-founder of Tesla is on our board and uh, as an observer, and he's very much like, look, like in the car industry, like the first runs of cars for sometimes several years are not profitable and it's the later runs. And I think that we'll see something that could be, um, it could be analogous to that, but I think it's going to be a little lighter um, compared to our to, to cars, but it's the, the automation of the seed vessel manufacturing. And we're already making millions of these things um, for each project. Um, so we've started to invest and grown from like a level one, like do it by hand to a level two of like, cool, like there's some off the shelf uh, automation into a level three, which is where we're at now. Um, sorry, we're at level three where we're at now, which is uh, the we're now starting to invest in some of those automated technologies to manufacture the seed vessels. And um, that's really exciting to see that uh, those, the, the fruits of that, the, the team's labor um, come to fruition. Nice. And, uh, and for anyone listening that, uh, that likes what they're hearing, where do you need help? How can the MCJ community rally and, and help drone seed out? Yeah. Um, number one, corporate carbon, credit buyers. It sounds like a tongue twister, but like, that is what we're looking for. Um, we're in conversations with folks already. We're in the request for proposals in a lot of cases, but there's a lot of folks out there that are part of large corporations that are looking for it. We'd love to supply that. Um, mm -hmm. the others are, uh, we're working in the August complex fire, but we're looking in pretty much any fire, Oregon, Washington, uh, California, Idaho, we're approved in nine States. If you've got somebody out there that, it manages a hundred plus acres of forest and they want to work with us. Like we're, we're pioneering some of these first carbon credit projects. Um, and so hundred, hundred acres or more is kind of our threshold. We'd love to be more than that, but I'll set that as the lowest threshold. Um, we'd love to be in contact with them. Um, so that's something that we're, we're developing to advance so that it's uh, we've got, we're working in all sectors. Um, and then lastly, like we'll be hiring um, and equity and access is important to us. That's the track we're on at Elemental Accelerator. So um, we don't have announcements yet for where we'll be um, bringing folks on, but it will be near the um, sort of Chico area, the August Complex Fire area. Um, so be aware on that. And it's important to us that frontline communities that are um, impacted the most, uh, we're going to be looking to uh, build out our our jobs there. And uh, so you know, just follow us on social media, follow us. Um, we post on LinkedIn. Um, we'd love to see some of those, some folks like start to get um, CVs in queue so that when we're ready to, to move forward, um, we've already got the folks that we're looking for. And then help us Great. tell our story. I'd love for people to give us feedback on this deck and um, you can shoot me an email um, at uh, grantdronesy.com. And I'm also on the My Climate Journey Slack. So if you looked at this and you're like, man, I love this deck, but like you should do like 10 things differently, or I love this presentation of it. Like, I mean, we're always receiving the feedback. It's a big, complicated story to tell. Um, and so as we can simplify it, as we can get that feedback from the community, um, we would really appreciate it. Awesome. Well, Grant, is there anything I didn't ask that I should have or any parting words for viewers? No, I think, I think you nailed it. And thanks, thanks for the help with the, uh, Thinking about it on the uh, the the diet versus exercise, um, absolutely gonna gonna run with that. Sounds great. Well, great. Thanks again <laughs> for coming on the show, and best of luck to you and the whole Drum Z team. <laughs> Thanks. Hey everyone. 
Jason here. Thanks again for joining me on my climate journey. If you'd like to learn more about the journey, you can visit us at myclimatejourney.co. Note that is .co, not .com. Someday we'll get the .com, but right now, .co. You can also find me on Twitter at jjacobs22, where I would encourage you to share your feedback on the episode or suggestions for future guests you'd like to hear. And before I let you go, if you enjoyed the show, please share an episode with a friend or consider leaving a review on iTunes. The lawyers made me say that. Thank you. Thank you.